Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Today, we are talking with our good friend and doctor, Dr. Eric Okla. He will be sharing his knowledge about ECS, or otherwise known as the endocannabinoid system. Welcome, doctor, and thanks for chatting with us today. Can you share the listeners a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Sure thing, sure thing. I graduated from chiropractic school back in 1981. Before chiropractic school, I was very, very interested in nutrition. I wanted to, in fact, a rather embarrassing tale was uh, when I first got interested in nutrition, I was uh, 13 years old. And I was in history class and Ronnie Beck was looking at everyone's hairlines because uh, the teacher hadn't got there yet. And uh, he was mentioning, oh, you're going to have hair for the rest of your life. And oh, you might lose it when you're older. And then when he got to me, he said, when he pushed my hairline back, he said, oh, you're going to be bald by the end of class. <laughs> <laughs> so that scared me, old Ronnie Beck. I hope he's listening to this. Um, anyways, following that, I found a book on nutrition and hair growth. And I became very interested since I was 13. So I was studying uh, nutrition from there on. Uh, then I got interested in structural medicine, chiropractic. And what I learned in chiropractic school really improved my knowledge of nutrition and how vitally important it is. The, the majority of medicine these days is about controlling symptoms or changing values on a lab. Whereas my interests went uh, in a different direction, I, labs are very important. They can give one an indication as to what their metabolic trajectory is and where they're headed, what kind of diseases they may be developing and uh, nutrition may help them reverse that particular metabolic trajectory. The type of medicine that I'm into is really getting the body into a healing state. And I learned a lot about those uh, pathways and mechanisms in chiropractic school, which really lit up a desire or a need to know more. And uh, I'm 65 now, and I've still had that need to know. Following chiropractic school with my need to know, I took an online course uh, over, a number of year, over a number of years that got my naturopathic medical doctorate. And, you know, I'm realizing with all this education that I have, most of the education comes in the field when you're with patients who are suffering or with people that... Um, had uh, uh, irreversible problems and pain and issues. And that got me to look into more as to what lifestyle can do for those kinds of, say, uh, drug-resistant uh, conditions like arthritis or autoimmune disease or dementia or memory loss or insomnia or digestive issues. Uh, drugs really don't cure those things. They basically poison an enzyme and block a receptor to change the feeling state of what's going on. But the dirty 
upstream issues that cause those dysfunctions are continuing to move to go on. So uh, following naturopathic school, I've always been interested in continuing my education. So I would attend conferences in neurology, immunology, anti-aging, endocrinology, functional endocrinology, and functional medicine. Functional medicine is distinct from allopathic medicine because allopathic medicine is a drug type, uh, delivery type medicine where there's a, a molecule, a patented molecule that's new to nature that can change a receptor system in our body like antidepressants, they basically make the receptors, the enzymes that degrade the molecules of emotion stick around longer, but those have downstream consequences and such. Whereas functional medicine is looking upstream and improving the body's ability to clear toxins, to increase, say, protein formation and build more functional proteins. Um, well, there are two types of proteins, just briefly. There are functional proteins and structural proteins. So essentially what DNA does is it takes your dietary amino acids that our digestive system processes, et cetera, and makes available to our system via the, the hormone insulin. And that gets the amino acids out of the blood and into the cell. Then the DNA will line up those amino acids to build a new liver cell or a new uh, um, connection from one brain cell to another, improving our ability to remember and improving our ability to learn and have more choices as opposed, as opposed to being limited by our choices. Yeah, I, I can really go on. So um, this aspect of functional medicine, hemp really comes into it. There's a book out there called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And I found a little passage in here initially on, uh, on how hemp and its products can be a medicine among many other things, which I'll cover shortly. But this uh, reads here, cannabinoids, which are the little molecules found in hemp, have been found to have an antioxidant property unrelated to the NMDA receptor antagonism. NMDAs, whenever those receptors are stimulated, we panic or there's some stimulation in our nervous system from a mild distant feeling that there's something wrong to a pervasive panic. This newfound property makes cannabinoids useful in the treatment and prophylaxis of wide varieties of oxidation associated diseases. That's inflammatory diseases. Oxidation is like metal rusting or the white flesh of an apple turning brown. Um, and so they, the article goes on to say, such as ischemic age-related inflammatory and autoimmune diseases. Now that blew my mind. That is a huge part of functional medicine is to lower the inflammatory burden of a person suffering from a de degenerative condition which naturally turns on the body's ability to regenerate itself or to recover, to heal. And uh, lifestyle behaviors would be important in maintaining the healing process. Because there are many things that we do in lifestyle that get in the way of that. Like the seed oils like from vegetables, say sunflower or uh, soybean oil or any of those other 
GMO oils. They they have a, they're high in omega six, and those are the precursors to inflammatory molecules. The cannabinoids are found to have particularly particular applications as neuroprotectants. That means that they literally stand by and protect the brain cells or the cells in the spinal cord. For example, in limiting neurological damage following ischemic insults, that's where less oxygen gets to. It's like a heart attack, such as stroke and or trauma in the treatment of neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, and HIV dementia. So I'll go ahead and take a breath and yeah, what's your next question? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for all of that. Um, you know, I've been seeing you for years now and you've definitely helped me in so many different ways and you're so knowledgeable. So I'm grateful for you to share some more information with us. Can you explain the endocannabinoid system to us? The endocannabinoid system is, is like the, um, the hormone system, or it's like the uh, central nervous system or the autonomic nervous system. The endocannabinoid system has everything to do with how all our systems communicate with each other. The nervous system speaking to the hormone system, the hormone speaking to the immune system, all the way through. So the cannabinoids are basically divided into two, two types. There's CD1 receptors, which are primarily found in the central nervous system, and there's CB2 receptors, which are primarily found in the immune system. There's a, a I used to be involved in uh, providing diagnosis codes, diagnostic codes, the ICD-9 and the ICD-10, those are the interna international classifications of diseases. And I was just informed a few years ago that there's an international classification of disease called cannabinoid deficiency syndrome, <laughs> where people feel a chronic, say, melancholy of uh, depression, of uh, shades of gray type feelings, very less and less color in, in their lives. And they were, it was found that these... Uh, when cannabinoids were given to these individuals that were deficient in cannabinoids, their dysphoria improved. They had, a, they had more interest. They were able to focus uh, more on what they wanted to as opposed to a deficiency, one would have a tendency to focus on what they don't want. Like a post-traumatic stress disorder, like the soldiers coming out of, uh, out of war and they see things that they just can't unsee that these cannabinoids interact with our endocannabinoid system uh, in a way that's favorable, favorable for someone that's afflicted with a vision they can't unseen that incites feelings that are painful. Uh, they're improved when they're exposed to these natural native molecules as opposed to, say, a new to nature molecule like you know, the standards of practice would deliver. So the endocann endocannabinoid system, the ECS, is everywhere in our body. Apparently, I'm, this is from memory, I watched a YouTube video on uh, cannabinoids being infused intravenously into an individual and these cannabinoids 
cannabinoids had radioactive isotopes on them. So they could literally follow where these endocannabinoids, excuse me, exocannabinoids, because they were exogenously delivered into this gentleman's bloodstream. And it collected in the brain and the spinal cord more than any other receptor-based system that we know of. I could be wrong about that, but that memory really <laughs> stays clear with me. Uh, it, it is, it has so many, say, anti-inflammatory properties. Um, that would be the endocannabinoid system described uh, in a profuse way because it's profusely located. It's virtually everywhere in the body. Uh, the immune system is everywhere in the body. We have these barrier systems uh, that help defend our immune system or, or resource our immune system. The four barrier systems are the skin, the, um, the gut from mouth to anus. That's where the bulk of our immune system lives. So there would be CB2 receptors in those areas. And then the third system would be the, uh, uh, the lung system. They call it the bronchus-associated lymphoid tissue, BALT. The gut one is known as GALT, gut-associated lymphoid system. And then the fourth one is, what do you think, Nicole? What's the fourth one? I always forget this. I always have to have you remind me. Is the blood-brain barrier. Oh, yes. Right. So apparently these cross the blood-brain barrier. They're using these molecules for individuals suffering from, as we mentioned before, from a certain type of stress that is inescapable, as well as Alzheimer's patients, uh, uh, even Parkinson's patients. Um, and uh, the literature is now showing that they're using uh, these exogenous cannabinoids in um, which would be THC and, and, and uh, cannabidiol in uh, cancer, mm. having great or, say, interesting outcomes. Can't be overzealous. No one's saying this on the air. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I know you got to be a little careful about, you know, saying yeah, what can cure or not cure. The powers of be. But so primarily the way it works, the endocannabinoid system, uh, there's a fellow on YouTube I, don't, I looked him up. I haven't seen any new videos from him. His name is Bob Melamy. He's a uh, PhD and a, I don't know if he still is, uh, a professor at Colorado, a university in Colorado. And uh, he has the only class of its kind, apparently, uh, since I've learned this, that might, might not be true, on studying endocannabinoids. And he came up with an interesting uh, statement stating that, you know, the stress of life is the friction of life and that appropriate cannabinoid uh, addition to a person that's going through stress could be termed as the lubricant to that friction, to where it makes things smoother, more tolerable, where an individual is more able to get out of uh, a cycle of pers perseveration, where they can't stop thinking about something, where this will deflame the brain to a point where it can uh, 
think about what it wants or what the person wants or what is more pleasing to the individual as opposed to chronically focusing on something that induces suffering. And by the way, suffering is just, the feeling of suffering is from primarily adrenaline. Adrenaline gives you, also known as epinephrine, adrenaline gives you that feeling state that something is wrong. As I mentioned earlier, from a distant shades of gray feeling state to a pervasive panic, it's adrenaline that does that. And adrenaline primarily accompanies most every uh, inflammatory condition. If the adrenals are tired and they can't make enough cortisol, then they'll make an easier molecule, a molecule that's easier to synthesize to tell us that something is wrong because these are the stress chemistries. Cortisol lowers the inflammatory process and raises the blood sugar. So our brain clears up so we can figure out whether we need to run or fight. If we don't have enough cortisol, then what occurs is uh, we'll make more adrenaline. Adrenaline will get us to move or, or make us want to, depending upon the intensity of the adrenaline or the, the levels of adrenaline in our body, well, let's call it an adrenergic burden, will create a sense of wanting to escape or run out of there or fight for your life. That's a system that comes online when you can't protect yourself. Now all these primitive instincts come up for you so you can fight or run, you know, if you if you have the capability. What was I saying before that? Where am I at now? Well, you said a lot, doctor, a lot about the functional medicine and how yeah. we've got this endocannabinoid system that's actually supporting all these other underlying systems within our bodies with the CB1 and CB2 receptors. Making us primarily feel safe. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we feel a threat, sense of threat, and anytime our body's inflamed, whether we're constipated, whether we have indigestion and bloating, whether we have a joint pain, whether we're unrested or sleeping, the stereotypical response is to stress, meaning the, the, the overall response to stress, whether it's from a physical, chemical, or emotional source, is always inflammation. Inflammation allows us to protect ourselves. Inflammation, like say, for instance, uh, uh, when we have joint injuries, usually it's an overhealing response. That's why we would ice the joint when it's fresh, when the injury is fresh, so we don't get a big, junky scar that forms. Having a more reasonable inflammatory response. The more resourced the body is, the more, re- the more reasonable the inflammatory response is. So having a, because inflammation saves our lives. But nowadays, all of the chronic degenerative diseases from diabetes to dementia, to cancer, to heart disease, they all have their roots in chronic, inescapable, unreasonable inflammation, which is usually induced and maintained by lifestyle. Now, do you think that treating the endocannabinoid system by the use of hemp or CBD can help reduce those, that inflammation. Right. Now, like for instance, the way I would would counsel someone, if someone were interested in doing that, the endo, the cannabinoids can have more of a, I believe there's no reason, perhaps there is research on this, but it just makes sense 
just basic common sense that the more resourced the body is, or let's say the less threatened the body is, the less, say, gut inflammation and all those other inflammatory issues. So for uh, being more specific, let's say someone goes off of the, the foods of, uh, of commerce. Mm-hmm. Standard American diet. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they, they, and they eat foods that are natural in nature, fruits, vegetables, and nuts and seeds and maybe grains and stuff. I generally don't have people eat grains because of the lectin content. But if someone were able to do that, they would notice a, an improvement. That's my experience. I've never noticed anybody with a chronic or observed anybody with a chronic degenerative disease that they were suffering righteously from, say a joint pain or depression, do well by continuing an inflammatory diet. But I have seen in my experience over the decades that people who clean up their act, that really improve, say, the nourishment of their body, invariably, invariably feel an enhanced sense of well-being. And, it, and that leads to an enhanced sense of immune function, of gut function, of circulation to the frontal cortex where we're more able to focus on what we want and maybe even choose our feeling states, being that resource. Someone told me, one, one of my teachers a long time ago, he said, uh, he said, Eric, what do you think is the ultimate expression of human genetic potential? And I was thinking, wow, what a good question. He's such a smart man. And uh, I was thinking of all these athletic feats. And then he just stopped me. He said, the greatest example or evidence of enhanced of a human being reaching their genetic potential, their ultimate expression of genetic potential is a state of well-being, authentic well-being. So when we're in a state of authentic well-being, we have uh, an autonomic nervous system, which is divided into two systems. One system that will save our life, the stress system, and the other system that heals and regenerates us. So when we have more of a present state of well-being, we have an equal amount or an equal, more of an equal participation of one system, the stress system that breaks us down, and then the other system that's mainly active when we're sleeping that rebuilds us up. So if we can get our bodies healthy enough to have the appropriate cell death, because we need cell death to live. We can't live without the cell death. The old senescent cells, they die off and they dissolve and they leave their amino acids and fatty acids and nucleic acids and other substrates that make up a cell. And now those are in in their raw component and they're in the bloodstream. And now the body can take those old damaged cells that are now basically digested and build a more integrous, better functioning cell. That would be, um, if that were to be chronically engaged in over a period of time, that could be known as youthening. The whole concept of anti-aging is that um, DNA has repair capabilities. Now is hemp or our cannabinoids uh, in important in DNA being able to repair itself? Perhaps, 
But the, the repair qualities of DNA means, and all DNA does is it takes your dietary proteins and converts them into your biological tissues because we're primarily made out of proteins. I think I mentioned this earlier. We have two types of proteins, the functional proteins, like say uh, serotonin and dopamine and adrenaline. Those are all made out of amino acids. Those are our feeling state, functional amino acids that make us feel a certain way. Um, and then there's uh, the structural proteins like our bone and muscle and such. So the DNA is what replicates those proteins. And as we grow older, say an example of DNA damage would be a wrinkle. You know, as a person is getting older, they're getting more and more stooped over, their skeleton is getting more brittle, their, thin, their skin is getting thinner, their thoughts are escaping them more uh, uh, regularly. And these individuals have a tougher time, say, feeling is good. Now, turning that whole process around and repairing one's DNA with one's lifestyle, where we're sleeping better, where we're detoxifying better, where we're digesting better, where our kidney function is improving chronically, our liver function is improving chronically, all those can improve genetic repair. So one, with the anti-aging, say, or the longevity science that's coming down the pipe, we have so much more, say, control over the rate or velocity at which we age and which we can slow, stop, or even reverse that process. Uh, there's countless examples in my experience, in my life, where I'm able to coach a person that's coachable, that's able to follow through and burn calories in a cleaner, more effective fashion so they can regenerate their systems. And uh, with what the research is showing and which what I read earlier to you about the NMDA receptors, those are your stress receptors. When those fire off, things are wrong. Now, if, if if cannabinoids can lower the inflammation in the nervous system to where that receptor type system is not needed, then a person has access to, say, their frontal cortical activity, the front of your brain, the most advanced aspect of the central nervous system or the vertebrate nervous system is the frontal cortex. When we're together and we're balanced and we're not stressed or threatened, then there's more blood supply to our frontal cortex where we can choose our feeling states as well as our uh, focus on what we want to focus on. So I, I think that's a long-winded explanation of how the endocannabinoid system can improve the communication of all the other systems. Now, just improving one's health will naturally improve the signaling of an endocannabinoid system where maybe one doesn't need to add them. But, you know, at this stage where we are in the, the legalization, there's more uh, of an opportunity to, to see if that works for a person or not. Thank you so much for all of that information you always give me. <laughs> so much great information every time, every <laughs> single time I see you. It's wonderful. So I have a question for you um, as we wrap up here. For our listeners, can you give us some 
recommendations on what they can do to live a longer, healthier life? Yes, I can. Um, I, I think I wanted to, to read something here about, uh, if it's all right with you. Go, go right we, ahead. We have this time. Sure. Um, did I read because hemp is overall the strongest, most durable, longest lasting natural soft fiber on the planet? Its leaves and flower tops were, uh, depending on the culture, the first, second, or third most important and most used medicine for two-thirds of, two of the world's people for at least 3,000 years. Until the turn of this century, botanic, botanically, hemp is a member of the most advanced plant family on earth. It is a diocesious, meaning it has male and female properties, hermaphroditic. Uh, it's a woody herbaceous annual that uses the sun more efficiently than virtually any other plant on our planet, reaching a robust 12 to 20 feet or more in one short growing season. It can be grown in virtually any climate or soil or condition on earth, even the marginal ones. Now, I've always been interested in the medicinal aspect, but, you know, with this hemp farm bill you mentioned in 2018, mm -hmm. you know, maybe our children do have the possibility of a better future if we could get our leaders to look at some truth and um, not be so tempted by ill-begotten gains, <laughs> so to speak. I agree. All the, you know, all the research we've done and we continue to do, you know, one of the biggest things that shines for me is how it can have such a positive impact on the environment. And, you know, everyone's talking about outlawing fracking and doing all of this. Well, that, you know, that has a very drastic impact on our economy when if we, could just slowly convert over to using hemp plastics and hemp clothing and get rid of the microplastics in the clothing and use hemp for paper instead of destroy the trees, we could slowly move over to using hemp more as a resource than petroleum. And then you're not going to lose all those jobs by just completely cutting out petroleum. You'll be adding jobs over here so you can convert things over. And instead of just having, you know, like the COVID shutdowns, it just completely decimated so many businesses and people's lives. How about we yeah. do something that's going to be good for the environment and still help everybody at the same time? Right. Very reasonable. That's what I think. As opposed to say unreasonable. Correct. Yeah. Very functional as opposed to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. So your question as to how can a person live a healthier life, you know, it, it all starts with food and sleep and uh, say a sense of less threat, more peace. And the foods of flavor, you know, that are combined, the modernization of food, those foods, they have a drug-like effect. They really increase the, the flavor and there's all these scientists that put a lot of work in, in enhancing that experience in the nervous system to where normal foods after being exposed to that for a space and time aren't tasty. So it's a matter of being able to break your addiction to these processed foods because they are way worse for a person's health, especially a compromised child or a compromised adult who are already well-versed in chronic inflammation, 
All that does is magnify it. Mm -hmm. So being able to use food as, say, one's medicine, as opposed to one's poison. poison. Right. And uh, Barry Sears said this once long ago. Uh, he, he's the author of the Zone books. He basically said using uh, food as medicine, taking the right dose at the right time of day. Mm. And some of the new studies that are coming out uh, regarding uh, being chronically fed all the time because digestion is a huge event it's mm -hmm. a very energetically expensive event and if digestion is also occurring at the same time an immune response is occurring because one is digesting immune upregulating foods or inflammatory foods then that magnifies the whole effect i have uh some I have knowledge of some people, patients, uh, family members, et cetera, that have these degenerative diseases and they're losing, say, their eyesight or mm. they're losing their ability to keep their balance. And the doctors that are working with them are, are not mentioning anything about, say, you know, the, the lifestyle that got them there because right. these are lifestyle diseases you know, in order to develop and degenerate at a particular rate, which gets faster as a function of time and exposure to these foods, um, you know, then it gets to the point where a person can't reverse that process because they just don't have the willpower. Yeah. You know, they're just really looking at, I need relief now. And I, I, I can understand that. But again, back to uh, individuals who are really interested in supporting their body's ability to replicate more functional proteins over time, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, the, the euthening process potentially. Right. And then maybe adding hormones at that point, you know, if one is lacking them, is another strong interest of mine. Um, that is how a person can really live uh, a lifestyle that's conducive to reducing the development of disease, as well as improving the potential for um, a state of well-being for that person. And then they become an individual that can make a difference for other people so it can spread mm -hmm. and uh, magnify in the presence of all this craziness that's going on now. This was fun. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy all of our talks. You always educate me so well. I really appreciate you sitting down and talking with us today. And we appreciate our listeners for tuning in to the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can change your life. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.